Pushkin. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Andrew Leland, and I wrote How to Be Blind for the New Yorker, and it's the story of the week. As I've mentioned before, in a failed attempt to get you to buy my book, Man Made, A Stupid Quest for Masculinity, Back in 2010, the United States Army allowed me to join a troop to do a week of boot camp at Fort Knox. One of the exercises involved a sergeant taking me out into the middle of a forest where I was supposed to find a flag that I was given compass coordinates for. I calculated that 67 of my steps equaled 100 meters and then went out to find it. The biggest challenge for me was that this forest had a lot of butterflies, like more butterflies than I'd ever seen in a butterfly sanctuary. And all kinds of different butterflies, each more beautiful than the last. My other problem was I I couldn't remember which way was north or east and how many steps I'd taken. Forests really look the same no matter which way you go. Eventually, my sergeant gave up on me. So I know for a proven fact that there is no way I'd be able to do what Andrew Leland did in Denver. Writing is hard. Who's got that kind of time when you're already busy trying to be Joe Stein? So he turns on a mic, maybe twiddles a knob, calls a journalist friend who's got an actual job. Auditory, single story, just listen to smart people speak. When reporters confront something difficult in our personal lives, our defense mechanism is to research the hell out of it, which is what I did when I found out I was having a boy and had no idea how to raise a boy 
because I didn't know how to be a boy. And I wrote the book, Man Made, A Stupid Quest for Masculinity, available in bookstores. And it's exactly what Andrew Leland did for The New Yorker when he started to go blind. Before we start, I know that among the very many things you've done, you've been a radio and podcast producer. So if at any point you want to correct something I'm doing wrong or add a sound effect, just feel free to do that. Your headphones are on backwards, but they are, right? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, geez. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So when did you first realize your vision was changing? Yeah, I was living in New Mexico for about five years between fifth and 10th grade. And that was a time in my life when I started hanging out with the cooler, older kids and doing drugs I should not have been doing at that age. Wait, what, and what age were you doing drugs? I like did acid and mushrooms in seventh grade. Oh my God. That's not okay. Imagine how intelligent I would be right now if I hadn't done that. <laughs> I would be interviewing you right uh, now. I don't think that's table. how it works. Uh, it's not how it works. But yeah, it was a very bad idea. I regret it. And it was that period when there was a lot of like, cruising out into the woods at night happening as we were being bad. And the drugs made it confusing because I was kind of like, am I just like really high? And that's why it's hard to follow everybody. Uh But the the disease I have, RP or retinitis pigmentosa, first manifests as night blindness. And so I would just have a lot of trouble picking my way around the, the pinon trees and this darkened hillside. And just those kind of experiences accumulated to the point where I diagnosed myself and then a couple of years later, my mom had moved to Southern California by that point, And I had complained enough by then that she was like, you know, let's go to a retinal specialist. And this like heavy hitter retinal doctor was like, yeah, retinitis pigmentosa, you'll be blind uh, by middle age. Oh, wow. Were there moments when you noticed it getting worse? Yeah, it's it's such a tricky thing to track because it's so gradual. And it's really just like, I would compare it to noticing that you've gotten taller, right? And I, my understanding of how RP and blindness works is it is like it's very slow and then things just start to get disastrous enough in your retina that it kind of falls off a cliff. And the tricky thing is that often the milestones are self-imposed as much as they are imposed from the outside. So what I mean by that is like you kind of imagine a blindness official coming up to you and saying, sir, I'm going to have to revoke your driver's license. But that doesn't happen, right? Like mm-hmm. I can pass the driving test, but then there's enough close calls that you're like, I think I might kill somebody by accident, probably going to stop driving at night. During the day, it's still totally fine. And then at a certain point, it's like, oh, that was the third cyclist. I almost murdered. Maybe daytime driving is not a good idea. Right. So giving up driving is obviously a huge change, but were there smaller ways that your diminishing vision affected your day-to-day life? Yeah, yeah. So I would say like every few years, I would have another experience like that. Like, so there was the close calls driving, and then it started to creep into pedestrian life. So I was in a cafe and I turned to go from the register to where the creamers and sugars are kept. And I just didn't see a little toddler there. And I kind of hip checked him and he like fell to the ground and was uninjured, but it just felt really bad and really raised the ire of his parents. And you know, like would kick a dog accidentally. And I knocked over two full beers like directly onto the laps of a pair of women on a date in a bar. Because the weird thing about it is you can see, right? So like I'm seeing all kinds of stuff. You just don't know what you can't see. So like I saw a jukebox and I was sort of like a little tipsily like, I'm going to put on Guided by Voices. And then I was like, nothing in between me and this jukebox. And like all, you know, 180 pounds of me just like lunges towards the jukebox. And I don't see like table, full beers, women on date, 
just ruin their date. Uh, felt really bad. And so those kind of experiences accumulate to the point where it's like a cane would have helped in all of those situations. So psychologically, what is it like to decide to use a cane? Incredibly difficult. The cane, as soon as you go anywhere holding a long white cane, you are treated as a blind person and people don't treat blind people normally. No. And another big difficult thing about the cane for somebody with RP you just feel like a fraud because on the one hand, it's absolutely saving all the toddlers and dogs and beers from being knocked over. On the other hand, people see you look at your phone or like check the don't walk sign flashing. And they're like, what's this guy trying to do? Is he trying to like gain sympathy over here? And you can just see it on their faces. It's like all these weird looks. Because we're so binary, right? Like I see someone go through the airport in the wheelchair and then pop up and get on the flight or it feels like alive, but there's a range, obviously. Of course. Yeah. I mean, the the wheelchair is a good example. It's the same thing. Like, you know, just because somebody can physically take steps, does that mean that they're doing themselves a service? Are they going to be happier Mm -hmm. uh, getting through that airport walking? Like, no, it's probably going to be incredibly painful, but that doesn't make them a fraud or a, you know, like a lazy person. It's just, it's like another, it's another way of inhabiting the world. It is interesting though, the, it's a common phenomenon, the sort of disability doubters. You know, people yeah. are constantly calling into question people like Stevie Wonder Truthers is a Wait, whole what? there is a whole horrible subreddit of people who think Stevie is faking his blindness. Why would Stevie Wonder be faking his blindness for this long? Of course he's not, right? Obviously it's completely no. bogus, but the evidence that they provide is is bananas. My favorite one is that somebody saw him in like a Best Buy or something buying a TV and they're like, why would a blind guy be buying a TV? <laughs> Like, well, maybe because he like has a family and they want to watch TV and also blind people watch TV too. But anyway, it's it's dispiriting in the extreme. I do think none of us, not none of us, me, I don't know how to deal with blind people because I lived on 23rd between 9th and 10th, which is two mm-hmm. blocks from Vision, which is yep. the place that has a lot of blind people living there and services. And, um, and so I'd constantly be at the crosswalk with a blind person yeah. Yeah. Not knowing if I should make an offer to help or not, but I didn't know <laughs> what I was supposed to do. Yeah. I'll tell you, offering is fine. It, fine uh, or good? There's a difference. I would say fine. I mean, it's it's tough because you got to make the judgment call. And like, if I, I was about to say, if they seem like they need help, then you can offer. And if not, just leave them alone. But like the general public's perception of what seeming like you need help yeah. is for anybody with a disability is grossly, wildly inflated. Because basically, like being blind on a street corner equals seems like they need help for most people. Yeah. And the reality is it's not, especially if you're on, like, that they, they live there, right? They probably have walked that, done yeah. that crossing a dozen times. But imagine you, right? You're on your way to work, you're on West 23rd Street, and somebody says to you, like, that's the Empire State Building, you know? And you're like, Fuck you. <laughs> like, like I live in New York. Like I don't need, you know, it's it's yeah, that it's, level yeah. of like, oh, yeah. little child, like is your mommy somewhere else? And it's it's infuriating. Also, I think from what I remember, the blind people were moving at a slightly different pace than me, slower. And so that's when I get confused about whether someone wanted help. Because I want everyone yeah. to be moving at the same pace as me. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is like the kind of I think you're touching on like a kind of core idea always am. in disability, which is like it makes people uncomfortable when the norms are challenged a little bit and any disability challenges norms. You know, nowadays with my cane, I've had this experience numerous times recently where I'll be in a restaurant trying to find the bathroom and I'll end up in a weird little alcove where like there's a pair of people 
on a date, you know, and I'm suddenly like at their table as though I'm a waiter, but instead I'm just like random blind dude. But the more I do it, the more I'm like, that's just like my way of finding the bathroom is I might end up yeah. in a couple of cul-de-sacs, but like, I don't need anybody to grab my elbow and take me there. I just realize, oh, I veered too far to the left. I'm going to zoop around to the right and look at that. I'm at the bathroom. And to me, more and more, I'm like, that is a blind way of finding the bathroom in a dark restaurant. Right. And I'm comfortable with that. But I think the thing that I would like you to appreciate is basically that like that wasn't being lost. I don't need to be embarrassed about that. You don't need to be embarrassed about that. That's just like how I do it. Right. It's almost like dealing with a different culture that you don't you don't impose your culture on the Japanese when you go there. It's like, not almost like it. It is. I mean, yeah. disability culture is a different culture. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So you knew your condition was going to get worse. So how mm -hmm. did you decide to prepare for that? Uh, I think like most people with RP, I postponed it for as long as I possibly could until I was in this situation where I'm like, okay, things are getting more and more dangerous. And the most important thing that I did and that any person who's going through what I what I was going through can do is to get blindness skills. And I'd started to get some blindness skills from my local sort of state commission for the blind where the, like a braille instructor came to my house and there was a cane instructor. There was a guy who showed me sort of techniques of daily living. But all of those people were cited. And I had been doing more and more research and realizing that there was there were other ways of learning how to be blind out there that were, in fact, quite different from what I was getting from, from the state commission. And so finally, after a while, I decided I would go to the Colorado Center for the Blind, which is one of the National Federation of the Blind's three residential training centers. And normally, the stay is nine months. Oh, because wow. I had a young son and yeah. you know a lot of other things going on. I didn't feel like I could go for nine months, but they let me go for two weeks. And then I ended up going back like a year later for another two weeks. Okay. And so I think everything I say about it should have that asterisk next to it, that like the real training is a full nine months. And what are the politics of this organization? Because I know in the blind community, there's different philosophies. Yeah. So the National Federation of the Blind was founded in 1940, and they really are the first instance in the US of an organization by the blind for the blind. Like there is a really, really strong history in the history of blindness of sighted people with exceedingly low expectations for what blind people are capable of, teaching them the bare minimum and basically like feeding them into lives of smallness with good intentions, but they have failed to give people real independence is the NFB's contention. I think if you look at the history of blindness, there's example after example of the failure of sighted people to imagine a rich, full, successful, independent, joyful, uh, blind life. And, and you really see that in the outcomes of the 70% unemployment rate for one. Oh, wow. Okay. So this is a slightly more libertarian take. Is that it? Is that we can teach ourselves to do anything? Yeah. So everyone who works at the NFB training centers is blind with very few exceptions. And they have a former YMCA that they bought in Littleton, which is one of the like cities within Denver. You know, it's like got the same footprint of the YMCA, but it's just wild because it's a completely blind space. Like the receptionist is blind, and you walk in, and she's like, uh, "Who's that?" You know, and then you kind of engage with her. And there's a Braille typewriter right there that every time you come in or go out, you sign in or out. And it was an incredible experience for me arriving there because, you know, as somebody who had felt so isolated in my experience of blindness and even curious if I counted as blind. Suddenly, I was deeply immersed and included, and it felt really good. The thing I should say is that all of the training there, you're wearing sleep shades. 
unless you have a note from your doctor that says you have no light perception, which is really only like 15% of blind people have no light oh. perception at all. Which so sleep everybody, shades just being like a, one of those masks that you get like uh, feels- I always associate them with like fancy people on airplanes or yes. the sleep mask. So you put these on the whole time you're there to experience- 8 to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday, you are occluded and you get in trouble if you take them off. Although everybody's blind, so how are they really going to know you took it off? But yeah. So what's a typical day of blindness training like? So a typical day at the Colorado Center is you wake up at the apartments and everybody gathers at the bus stop. And it's wild because like it's just a regular city bus, but like there's that one stop that every morning at 741, like two dozen blind people just like storm it. And it's just like this fun, like blind bus, you know, and uh, then everybody gets off at the Littleton station. And then it's like school, you know, it's like college a little bit where there's like blocks of classes and you might have like braille and home management in the morning and then long travel in, in the afternoon. Is it like college or summer camp? Like do people make friends or people hooking up? What's it like? It is a little bit of a Hogwarts for blind people, I would say. And they're, you know, they've got roommates and at the weekends, people are grilling and drinking and it's a whole scene. Do you think anyone was hitting on you? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I mean, I think people knew that I was married, although that hasn't stopped plenty of folks there from hooking up because you do like they leave their sighted spouses behind at home and then they're there. And, and that feeling I'm, I was describing of sort of being suddenly like yeah. among peers is really intoxicating. Uh, but I love my wife dearly. I was not at any risk of making out with any blind people. Yeah, but imagine if that happens at teachers' conventions, where it's just like, oh, you're a teacher too. And, and totally. Imagine this is much more intense. So what do you have to do to finally graduate from this place? Yeah. So like, there's final tests in all of the subjects. So like the cooking final test is you have to cook a meal for the entire center, which is like 60 people. And you do all the shopping under sleep shade. Most sighted people your age can't do that. <laughs> I mean, if they had nine months to work their way up to it, they could. What'd you make? A kale salad and a red lentil soup. And I made it for, I think, like six people in my apartment. And then there's like, you know, in the tech class, you have to like format Microsoft Word documents properly. But then the big famous thing that everybody talks about, and it's mind boggling, even to blind people, is they drive you around under sleep shades in circles around Denver. You have no idea where you are. You know, so some people who are super advanced, they'll drop them off like three cities over on the top of a parking garage, which is a very confusing place uh, for a blind person, parking lots in general. If you're sighted, I can never find my car. It's it's, (laughs) parking lots are mazes. They're horrifying. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. But regardless, everybody to graduate has to do some version of this test, which is called the independent drop. They let you off and then they say, okay, find your way back. Okay. So what are the rules? Rules are no smartphone. You can only ask one person one question. You can only you can ask one person one question. That's crazy. I don't think you could take most people without a cell phone and drop them somewhere and hope <laughs> they would get back with all the sight in the world. Yeah. Had you heard like horror stories about the drop that scared you? Yeah, for sure. I heard an account by a blind historian named Zachary Shore who talked about the first time he did it and this is a good strategy I've found, but it can backfire as he discovered where he just sort of heard a busy street. And at a certain point, if you're lost, like kind of picking a direction and just going with it sort of makes sense. And you're like, I'm going to find something that will be helpful. And so he just sort of stubbornly did that for a really long time. And then a car pulled over next to him, which turned out to be a cop car. And they said, my friend, you're about to walk onto the highway. And he jumped in the cop car and they took him back to the center. 
you know, to give you a sense of the intensity of these of these training centers, you know, when he got back, the director was like, "You failed this time. We're going to make you do it again. We're going to give you an even harder drop next time, and then next time you're going to do it." And then, lo and behold, next time he did it. When we come back, Andrew will be dropped off in the middle of nowhere. But first, our advertisers are going. Do, do we even have advertisers? I've never listened to this podcast. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before Nerd Wallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So you've been doing all of this training and it's leading up to this big final test, your independent drop. How does that go down? So there's a big morning meeting where everybody takes roll call. And then one of the travel teachers is like, and today's the day for Andrew's independent drop. And everybody's like, oh, <laughs> everybody's cheering and razzing me. And, you know, there's like, oh, I guess we'll say goodbye to him now because you'll never see him again. Like that kind of stuff. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. So you head out on your independent drop and, and you've got those sleep shades on and they put you in a van and drive you around in circles until they finally drop you off somewhere in Denver. Yeah, so I get in the van. The one of the only sighted employees at the place, Josie, is driving me. She seems more nervous than I am. I think she's very unhappy about the like only one month in support yeah. uh, independent drop thing. 
And then she finally drops me off and I get out and I'm being very careful because the thing is like when you're sighted and you get confused or turned around, you, I think instinctually we all do this where you kind of like do a 360, turn your feet all the way around and the sight keeps you oriented, right? But if you're blind, that is a very bad idea because every one of those turns is a chance that you're just going to mess up which direction you are. Right. The whole map gets lost. It was almost like I landed from the van was like a lunar lander, you know, and I just like had planted my feet on this new planet a little bit. And I was like, every step felt important in that first moment. I remember like on that sidewalk. So I felt with my cane and I felt the grass line and I found the, the curb. I felt the sun on my face. It was like, you know, 830 in the morning. So I was like, okay, I'm facing east. And the, the thing everybody tells you is find a bus. And your one question for one person, smart money is you ask the bus driver, where, how do I get to Littleton downtown station? Because at that point, everybody knows backwards and forwards getting from downtown Littleton station to the center. And so then the sort of corollary is if you want to find a bus, you want to find a busy street, right? So every, pretty much everybody does the same thing I did, which is you listen and you listen for where that busier street is. And so I knew I was facing east. It sounded quiet to the east. I kind of heard something behind me, some traffic, like distant traffic. And so I turned around and I started walking west. 20 seconds later, I'm at a corner and I can feel the corner, right? With my cane. And then I have a decision. Am I going to go north or south, right? And um, I heard more traffic to the north. So I took a left. See, but this is incredible. Like before you did this, would you have had a sense in your head at all times of which way is north, south, east, and west? Never. And, and Never. honestly, like it's been a couple of months since I did this and I've, it's atrophied. Like, because I, I haven't worn sleep shades that much and I haven't practiced this and it's, I feel bad. I feel like I haven't been going to the gym, you know? But Okay. So you're at this corner and you're listening for traffic and walking in that direction. Yeah. And, um, and it's just interesting, like what I am picking up, not just in terms of orientation, but just, you know, I also just have like a curiosity about where I am. And like my cane hits a, what really feels to me like a piece of plywood that's on the front of a building. And that, that to me signals like a kind of a rundown situation, you know, like, why is there like plywood? And then like a dog starts barking behind the plywood. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Like, is this like a residence or something, you know? And, uh, interesting or scary. Uh, I was a little scared, not of the dog, but just of like, you know, bothering somebody or, you know, like, mm. cause I didn't know exactly where I was. So it was like, I had accidentally like wandered into somebody. I didn't think I was in somebody's yard, but it was definitely, I was overwhelmed. And especially in those first minutes, like extra overwhelmed. So like one thing that's really difficult while doing blind cane travel is driveways just mess me up because you'll be walking and you know, there's like the concrete of the sidewalk and it gives way to the asphalt of a driveway, but the roads are asphalt too. And so that change in texture, sometimes it's ambiguous. Like, is this a, am I at a corner or is I just like crossing and there's like a supermarket there, you know? And I felt one of those and I was like, uh, kind of feel like this is a driveway, but I'm not sure. And because it was like my first time alone and like, I was being very meticulous about it. And then suddenly I heard a guy had pulled his car he had like sl- slowed his truck and he's like you lose something buddy because i think i just looked like i had like dropped my keys or something and uh and i was like no i'm just just exploring and he was like <laughs> all right you know and he like kept going just exploring um, always a good answer yeah that's my new stock answer but i i mustered the courage i crossed the driveway it made it to another corner and then from there then i finally made it to what was clearly a busy artery 
And then I had another decision, you know, am I, am I going to go left or right? And I kind of felt like going with the flow of traffic made sense. So I just went with the flow of traffic, crossed a number of streets. And then I finally got to another intersection that was clearly like an even bigger artery. And I was like, okay, this has got to be where the bus is. That was the first time I was actually scared because it was, I stood there for a really long time listening because this is what I've been trained to do is like, you listen to the traffic pattern. If you stand there long enough and you pay enough attention, you can figure it out. You're like, okay, I can clearly hear that there's four lanes here, you know, two going one direction, two going the other, because I heard a car, you know, go close. But also about like, wh- is there is there an arrow? Uh, you know, when are the left turners coming? Oh, right. Um, and so it's a lot of thinking about the timing. So I just stood there for probably 10 minutes, just listening, studying this intersection. This sounds exhausting. Like that's all I'd be paying attention to. There's no room for like thinking about other stuff while you're walking around. Oh my God, that can't be overstated how exhausting it is. I would come back from one of these training sessions and I would feel like I had just taken the LSAT like 11 times. Like my brain is just toothpaste in my head because the cognitive load is really, really, really heavy. And Did you take the LSATs? Never taken the LSAT, never will. That's a weird, that's a, that's a weird fear you have. That's a specific. Well, I don't know. It seems hard. It does sound hard. Yeah. Maybe this is my insecurities. You sound like you're walking around curious and somewhat confident. I feel like I'd be in a panic and feel alone and I'm not seeing other people. I, it just sounds claustrophobic. I mean, it's a journey, you know? I think I felt that way and I'm sure that I will continue to feel that way, you know, as I become more blind and hit more obstacles, but I think the 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 reality of that training is they work you up to it, you know? So like yeah. The beginning of that claustrophobia feeling of like you're just sitting there in a room with a bunch of other blind people, and like you and that, that you have hours to just like absorb it and like okay. get from the chair to the locker where your lunch is, you know, and then back right. to a different chair, and like that experience really shakes some of the mystery off of it. And so by the time you're standing on that busy intersection, a lot of that fear and claustrophobia it's still there. Like I'm not going to lie to you and be like everybody is cool with it, but like. You're at the level where, I mean, it's, it's like kind of like anything, right? Like, I feel like you could pick any accomplishment at random. And right. it's like, when you're at the beginning of the journey, you're like, there's no way I'm going to jump out of that plane, yep. write that book, you know, like marry that woman, whatever, you know, but like you, you get there, right? <laughs> marry that woman was maybe a weird one. <laughs> no, that was the best one. <laughs> um, okay. So you're at the intersection for possibly 10 minutes. And so this guy comes out and he's like, yeah, I'm like an electrician working on this hospital. I was like, oh, hospital there? No idea there was a hospital. And he was like, I just, I saw you standing here for a really long time. Like, are you lost? And then this was like the one time I like kind of cheated where I was like, oh no, I'm not lost. I'm just looking for a bus stop. And you know, that does not count as my one question. Right. Smart. No, I like this. No, but it was totally cheating. But, um, he was like, oh, hang on. And he like looked at his phone. And I could have then been like, no, no, you mustn't look at your phone. And he was like, oh, yeah, just like if you cross the street here, there's a bus stop like halfway up that block. And I was like, you were close anyway, though. Yeah. And uh, I, I would have found it anyway, but it was very relieving to know that I was on the right track. But he like, it was like he was leaving me to die. He was like, I was like, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. Like, I'll, I'll, I got it from here. And he was like, are you sure? Like, and I was like, yeah, hey, yeah, I'm like, this is the training I'm doing. And he was like, okay, oh. you know, be well. But it was clearly, he was just like, I just am leaving this guy to his death. And, and it was, it kind of made me laugh. But he also smelled like overwhelmingly of weed and body odor, which was interesting. It's a fallacy that blind people smell better or hear better than sighted people. But when that's all you are relying on for like 
your impression of the world, like these things, they have a bigger impact, you know, like you're, you're more attuned to them. You know, it's not a fallacy mm. uh, that everyone in Denver smells like body odor and weed. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, you got me there. Anyway, I finally muster the courage. I've like studied this intersection more than any person other than the person who designed it has. And I cross, I make it to the other side. My heart is like in my throat. Yeah. Uh, are you, you're sweating. Your heart's beating. That was definitely a pulse pounder moment. Okay. Yeah. But I did it. And then I find a bench and I'm like, oh, this could be a bus stop because it's a bench. And then like I, I kind of like inadvertently lift my cane up a little higher and it hits this like very hollow sounding roof that I didn't know was there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, like bench underneath a shelter. Like what yeah. on earth is that in the United States other than a bus shelter? How long have you been out at this point? Uh, not that long. Probably like an hour. I've made it like a quarter of a mile probably. And then the bus arrives and then I'm like, here we go. One question, one person. And uh, I asked the the bus driver and he's like, you know, in true bus driver form is like, oh yeah, just ride this bus to the end of the line. And then you'll be at like a light rail station. And then once you get to that light rail station, it's only like two stops to the downtown Littleton station. And so I like, I sit there and by that point I'm feeling very pleased with myself. Like getting on the bus is like a major milestone. And then when we got to the end of the line, the driver offered to walk me to the station and like to the, to the train. But I was like, no, no, that's, that's going too far. Uh, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm doing the independent drop here. Yeah, like yeah. I'm good, but I did allow him to be like, there's stairs right there, you know, and you go up them sure. across a bridge. And so I made it and that was weird. The light rail station is interesting. You know, like I go up these concrete stairs and there's like a brief moment of panic where I was like, that just like walk up onto like a tiny concrete tower that I'm about to fall off of. It's from watching Mr. Magoo as a kid. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. But then of course, like good old Kane, you know, gave me evidence of what was actually going on. I found the pedestrian bridge over the highway to the light rail station. And by that point I had been in like, I'd been in Denver light rail stations like a dozen times or more. And they're all set laid out, you know, roughly the same, right? I'd been trained how to find where the doors open. And so like I felt for the tactile dots. And as I was doing that, there was somebody wearing headphones. And so they didn't hear me coming. And I scared the crap out of them because I like passed like very close to them. And I think just like all of a sudden they were like, oh, there's a guy right there, which kind of cracked me up just because like, it was funny like that I was scaring other people instead of other people scaring me. That must must happen all the time now that everyone's staring at their phones. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's really annoying. Um, Also just as a pedestrian, because they're like staring at their phones as they're walking. And then you're like, you're the blind one, like bumping into me, asshole. So then I get on there and then I'm like feeling extremely confident because like I hear that it's like the right train that, and I've been on this train and I know it's going and I know it's awesome. two stops. And and then people start talking to me on the train and when somebody starts being like, sir, there is a chair immediately to your left. And I was just like, buddy, I am. And I'm like kind of like riffing. I'm like in such a good mood. I was just like, buddy, like I'm good standing. And then I, I was just, like dorky, but I was like holding onto the, you know, the strap. And I was in like, I'm just like yeah. one of those, like, I'm like a 1930s commuter, buddy. Like, look at me. <laughs> like I'm a snowboarder, like riding, you know, and they were like, oh, this guy's feeling his oats. But at that point I was just like singing in my head because I really know where to go. And as I get closer to the center, you know, I, I start to hear canes and I'm like, oh, like here, here we are, we're getting closer. And then actually Charles, my travel instructor, He's out with another student, but like he kind of comes back and I hear him uh, under his breath. It's like, great job, dude. Great job. He was really proud of me and made me feel great. And then, yeah, I, I got back. And then there's a tradition when you get back, you, you know, you check back in and you tell the receptionist that you're there. And then they announce it over the intercom. You know, and they're like, Andrew just got back from his independent drop. And then I hear like, you know, in all in the Braille classroom, in the kitchen, everybody's like, woohoo, you know, 
Oh, was, what does it feel like? Moon. Oh, it was it was incredible. I mean, I'm like getting I'm getting the chills again right now, just telling you about it. You know, the fears that I have about becoming blind, the real like intense anxiety about like, am I just gonna be like the guy who goes into his mom's basement and just like can't do anything anymore when this happens? Right. It just undermines the hell out of that. Cause it's like, yeah, it's gonna be hard and exhausting and like triple L set every day if I am going to places I've never been, but also like it's a hundred percent doable. If, if like my vision were going to completely go out tomorrow, it would be heinous and it would like accelerate all of the stuff I'm trying to do. But also like I would continue pitching stories for magazines and I would continue like going to people's weddings and like checking out new restaurants. And like, it just gave me that confidence that like my life does not have to end by any stretch with the loss of sight. The oddest thing might be that you seem less afraid of going blind than you are of the LSATs. <laughs> oh, yeah. I really don't want to take the LSATs. You mentioned that it like terrifying. three times. Yeah. It just seems, uh, I just don't have a legal mind. Andrew Leland, you wrote the new book, The Country of the Blind, a memoir at the end of sight, and also uh, this article in The New Yorker, How to Be Blind. It's the story of the week, and uh, you've made me a better person. Hey, I hope that's true, Joel. Thanks. I, I really like enjoyed talking to you. Me too. While I learned so much from talking to Andrew, my main takeaway is never grab anyone by the elbow. Does anyone ever enjoy that? I mean, even if you're paying a dominatrix, if she grabs you by the elbow, you're not coming back for a second session. I mean, you can yank someone by the hair, but don't touch their elbows like you're some kind of schoolmaster in Little House on the Prairie. Leave people a little dignity. At the end of the show, what's next for Joel Stein? Maybe he'll take a nap or poke around online. Our show today was produced by Kate McAuliffe and Nisha Venka. It was edited by Lydia Jean Cott. Our engineer is Amanda K. Wang. And our executive producer is Catherine Girardot. And our theme song was written and performed by Jonathan Colton. And a special thanks to my voice coach, Vicki Merrick, and my consulting producer, Lauren Zelaznik. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Joel Stein, and this is Story of the Week. Who are the attractive, like, who are the blind sex symbols? In pop culture? Yeah. I mean, probably me, I would say. I think I think you're up there. Maybe Mary from Little House on the Prairie? All right. No. I mean, isn't she like 11? Not by the end of the show. Okay. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. You know, I love music, but I haven't picked up an instrument in years. You know why? I tell myself, I don't have time. Where am I going to find a teacher? Well, there's an answer. Musora. Musora is the place where you can learn essential skills and techniques with more than a hundred of the world's best teachers and musicians and thousands of famous songs. You get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 per month 
less than a single private lesson. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.